0: going to sum everything up here. But um, it's kind of exciting for me. started taking uh, this teaching up to Fort Dodge to the prison up there, and I've found the guys to be really enthusiastic about it. So it's a good thing. And uh, we can get the foundations into them. And that's that's really what's so significant about this teaching is that we, we get these foundational truths deep down on the inside of us. You know, uh, <clears throat> it's not enough to just know what something says. We've, we've got to get it. We've got to get it on the inside of us. And um, there's a minister that used to come through years and years back. And uh, good preacher and everything. But in the years that I knew him, I, I began to learn something about him. Because it, it seemed like in, the, in a lot of the areas of, of what he preached, he struggled. And I, I, I struggled because I couldn't quite understand that. But then I began to really examine the individual's life and And what I saw about him was he had what I would call a photographic memory. In other words, he could read a book and he he could just preach it. You know, no effort at all. He just didn't have to study anymore. He read the book. He could preach it. And he preached it good. But the thing that I began to realize was that it never got into the inside of him. It was never a part of of him, of his life. And so that's what's, I believe, so significant about this word and uh, this teaching that we've done, Uh, grace, the power of the gospel, is we can know these things. You know, I would venture to guess that very little of what I taught in these last 17 weeks you hadn't heard already. But it's not enough to just hear it, to know about it, it's got to get on the inside of us. You know, Brother Hagan, you know, he always said, you know, take my books, take my tapes, outline them, uh, preach them, but then don't stop there. And so, you know, when I started in the ministry, I didn't, uh, well, actually, I didn't know anything now that I think about it. that You know, poor people here that had to hear me, but just think about the poor folk up in Wapaka. You know, they had to listen to me for two years. But the thing that I realized was, you know, I I preached his stuff. In fact, I had to use his stories because I didn't have anything. You know, and that's one of the advantages of living and having experience. You know, we, we become like David you know, we've killed the lion, we've killed the bear, what is this uncircumcised Philistine to me? But guess what, we've gotta start with the lion, we've gotta start with the bear, we've gotta start with dealing with the things that we have to deal with, and then we're able to, to grow there. But the thing about it is, is I don't regret those years because in those years it demanded that I study. It was an absolute necessity. And what happened over those years is that it, it no longer became uh, Brother Hagin's teaching. It no longer began, be, it was just simply Brother Hagen's stories. It became mine. You know, I think it was uh, Fred Price, I, heard, I think it was Fred Price that made this statement. He says, you know, when I, when I hear somebody teach something and I like it, I teach it. And the first time I teach it, I give them credit. The second time I teach it, somebody said. The third time I have teach it, it's mine. You know, that's what happens over the years. It becomes yours. And you see, that's not how it's supposed to be just simply in my life because I'm a preacher. That's how it's to be in all of our lives. That I believe it not because Pastor Dave said so or because Brother Hagen said so or this preacher said so. I believe it because the Word of God says it, and it's alive on the inside of me. That is life-changing, and it's, it changes our lives for all of eternity. So tonight, we're gonna talk about heart belief and mouth confession. Salvation isn't based on being holy. If salvation was based on being holy, all of us would be disqualified. Nobody would ever qualify. It's based on heart belief and mouth confession. So you're all familiar with this passage, but turn over here anyway, or look at it in your notes. In uh, Romans, the 10th chapter, and the 9th verse, it says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will, you shall be saved. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. The only only requirements. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and you shall be saved. This is a it's talking about a firm commitment, a complete reliance, and an absolute trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our Lord and Master. In other words, we have to put our trust completely in Him. You know, if, uh, <clears throat> if we're believing in Jesus and, we're not doing that. The and is disqualifying us because the and is saying that I'm not putting my trust completely in in Jesus alone for my salvation. And so, your dependency upon him is where we find our salvation. Now, the interesting thing about this, this salvation, it isn't just uh, talking about eternal life and the hereafter. It's talking about healing, it's talking about deliverance, it's talking about all those things. In Romans 10.10, 10, it says, for with the mouth, or for with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And of course, the root of that word salvation there is the word so which is in all inclusive terms. And so, <clears throat> because you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, healing belongs to you. Because you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, prosperity belongs to you. Because you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, Everything that Jesus accomplished for you is yours. But it's not because you were good enough. It's because of what Jesus did. It all evolves around Jesus. And you know, the number one tool of the enemy in in religion is to get us believing that there's something that we must add to it. So, first we believe in our heart. How do we believe in our heart? Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So the only way we can believe in our heart is to get the word of God on the inside of us and we become so convinced that God, what he said, he meant. And when we, when we are that convinced, what happens is we begin to, we begin to speak it out of our mouth. Uh, you know, pastor, if that's all there is, everybody would just live like the devil. Well, have you looked around you lately? Everybody's living like the devil. Not just talking outside the church and talking inside the church as well. So what's, what's the secret to the thing? If you believe in your heart, which will lead to confessing with your mouth, which will produce actions in your life. And what we try to do is we try to put the actions before everything else. You know, I've shared this with you before, 150,000 times probably. But the thing that I've learned about faith is true faith demands an action. You can't just sit back and say, oh, I have faith. No, if you have faith, it demands an action. If you have faith, you lay hands on the sick and see them recover. If you have faith, you believe God for increase so that you have more to be able to give. If you believe in faith, you expect deliverance in your life, those things that hold you back and hold you down, that they have no hold on you any longer because of what, what Jesus has done for you. That's what faith does. And so that's why James is able to say what it says. It says, faith without works or faith without corresponding action is dead. And basically he's saying it's not faith at all. Because true faith will always produce an action on our part. You know, I always use the example of when I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior in the basement of Vern Lewis's house. I thought I was there to get the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But as they began to share, uh, I could see that I'd never personally received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And so as they shared that scripture with me, And as faith began to rise up on the inside of me, I wasn't about to leave that basement until I'd prayed and received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. It demanded an action on my part. And that's what faith does. It demands that we do something. It puts a demand on us. But you know, when we're we're trying to just work it out ourselves, our willpower just won't do it. It won't accomplish what faith will accomplish. So first, you believe with your heart, then you speak with your mouth. And so it's a combination of the two. You know, when we truly believe in God, we'll never be disappointed. Listen to what it says in the 11th verse. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame will not be put to uh, be disappointed. You know, shame, uh, we experience shame when we experience fa- failure. If we feel like we failed in any way, maybe um, uh, we, we failed in our business, we, we failed in our, uh, our relationships, we, we failed in one way or another, it always, it always produces shame. But you know, when we're operating by faith and we realize that because I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus is my Lord, I've turned it all over to Him. And so from that point on then, it's no longer about me, it's about Him. And so I no longer have to wrestle with shame any longer because what I did in my past, I don't have to wrestle with that because Jesus took care of that. I'm forgiven of that. if I, if I pray for somebody and I don't see the man, immediate manifestation of it, I don't have to feel shame because I feel like I failed because it isn't, it isn't on me. It isn't about me, it's about, about Jesus. You see, that's where we, 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 you know, if we're gonna be motivated to do the works of Jesus, we've gotta realize that the spotlight is not on me. The spotlight is on Jesus. And so when I pray for the six in obedience to the word of God, I expect them to be well. Not because I've lived a perfect life up till that point in time. It's because of Jesus' perfection. Well, pastor, what if, what if you don't see that healing manifest? It's not up to me. It's not my deal. I don't have to feel any shame. I've prayed for people and they've not been healed. But you know what? Shame has not kept me from praying for somebody else. Why? Because that healing isn't about me, it's about Jesus. You understand what I'm trying to say? And so that's why we don't have shame. It's not because we don't ever mess up. In these areas, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, and we overcome the circumstances that are around us. When we experience shame or we're ashamed, we're always looking at self. It's the only place where shame ever comes from. It's when I look at self. I I feel ashamed of what I did. We've all been there. At least I've been there. I'll just raise both my hands for everybody, so you know we don't have to have a prayer line for liars. But you know, I've I've been ashamed. But it's because I looked at myself. Now, <clears throat> don't misunderstand me. I've done some things to be ashamed about. But I'm forgiven. And so I no longer have to live there. I no longer have to walk there. <clears throat> this isn't only talking about initial born again experience also means everything that comes as a result of Jesus Christ. How do we receive it? Believe it in our heart and confess it with our mouth. Why do we, why do we continue in the word? Because we don't know it all yet. We don't we, I mean we may know what Jesus has done for us but we don't know what Jesus has done for us. And it's got to get into our heart. It's it's not enough for me to intellectually know that Jesus became poor, that I might become rich. I've got to have that that down in my heart so that when, you know, a a time of struggle comes because of finances, I don't yield to that. I don't give into that. I don't allow shame to dominate me because I was stupid about my money in the past because I've been forgiven of that. And because I have the wisdom of God, I'll not make those mistakes anymore, as long as I look to him. But what happens if I allow shame to rise up, I get the focus back on me, and when I get the focus back on me, I'm gonna do the same stuff all over again. That's why rules and regulations have never worked. Because rules and regulations always put the focus on self. And when the focus is on self, history will always repeat itself. Everybody's heard that statement. You know, know, and there's elements of truth to that. But your history does not have to repeat itself. The history of your parents, your grandparents, your ancestors, that doesn't have to repeat in your life. Why? Because you're a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. You're part of a whole new family. And that genealogy no longer has a right to have dominance over you because of what Jesus has done in your life. And so if you focus on your genealogy, what will happen is you begin to follow it. Now, I, don't misunderstand. I, you don't have to be ashamed of your gene, genealogy. You know, I'm just a, I'm a good old kraut. Trout through and through. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Although some people try to accuse me of being a Dane. But I'm a a, a German. The father country. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You know. And uh, but. So obviously I'm not ashamed of that. But you know what took place within my family. Over the years. That was not of God. I'm not responsible for that. And so there's. There's no shame. We don't have to live in shame because of something that our ancestors did, no matter how stupid it was. Because we've been set free through Christ Jesus. And, and so nobody's going to manipulate me. Nobody's going to control me through guilt and shame. Why? Because I've been set free of it. Because I'm not looking at self. I'm looking at Jesus. Do you realize that, <clears throat> that all around us, continually. There is, there are people and there are conversations that are trying to manipulate and control us. And we have to, we need to recognize that. And, and what'll really do it is when they, when they begin to shame you into something. You know, it isn't just outside, it's, it's within the church. You know, I, I've been in meetings where they're taking up an offering, and you know, <clears throat> I, I always put in an offering. And, uh, but they, they start uh, manipulating. They say, well, you know, the, the first individuals that put in $500, God's going to do something mighty in their hand, in, in their life. Well, what happens with me, I'm, I may be like this at that point, but I go like this at that point. Because nobody's going to manipulate me. Nobody's going to. Shame. You know, we're, we're just not, we're not meeting the bills for the meeting. If you don't, if you don't give, I just don't know how we're going to make it. Well, man, if you need my money, you ain't going to make it. Because I'm not going to be shamed into it. I'm not going to be manipulated into it in Jesus' name. Now, I've been in meetings where there was a prophetic word given. Remember one of the first camp meetings I went to, Brother... Um, uh, Oral Roberts got up and he, he began to to share and he, he, he shared a message on flood tide. He'd just written the book and and preached it someplace. But it was talking about how <clears throat> uh, you can control a a trickle, you can control a, a stream, you can even control a river, but you can't control a flood. And God wants us in a flood tide. And he, he preached it and he went and he, he sat down. This was at camp meeting and and he goes and he sits down and Norval Hayes gets up and says, Brother Hagan, can I share something? And he says, yeah. And he says, Brother Hagan, I, I really believe we're supposed to take another offering. He said, the Lord showed me there's individuals here, there's pastors here. They, they need a building. And, uh, you know, God gave me a figure, $1,000. He says, I believe there's pastors here that uh, uh, God's speaking to their heart, they need to give $1,000. And it's seed for their building." And he said, well, you know, do whatever you want to do. And they'd already taken the offering. They took the Rhema offering. They already raised $250,000 that night. And so they, they started, and they said, we're not going to pass the plates around. If you want to give, come up to the altar. And uh, I leaned over to Pastor Becky and I said, I believe I'm supposed to give $1,000. And she says, well, if you're supposed to do it, do it. And I said, I, I, I believe I'm supposed to do it in the name of the church. But, you know, if they don't agree to do it, we're gonna to have to be true to our word and we'll have to do it. And she says, obey God. So I went up and put in thought. But that was the Holy Ghost. I mean, I couldn't wait to get up there. There are times when it's anointed. But, but see, you're a spirit man. Don't allow manipulation to maneuver you. You be sensitive to your spirit. And if the spirit says, don't give that turkey anything, don't give that turkey anything. But he says if he says give such and such then be obedient And you know what that was seed for this building you know because that was in the summer in October um, we started the building we broke the ground and by the following February or March first Sunday of March we were in we were in this building and uh, it was seed and everybody said we wouldn't be able to get a loan or anything because we were we are a new church, we, we got a loan, and paid it off early, praise the Lord. I don't know if you realize this or not, but this, this, this church is debt free. We owe no man anything but love. And uh, that's, that's a good thing, amen. Because I can show you a whole lot of churches that aren't in that, that boat right now. But I, I believe it goes back to the seed that was sown. And of course, we continue to sow seed. You know, <clears throat> our sowing into missions we do it out of a heart of love for missions and for the missionary and for the people in other lands. But you know what, that's, that's seed that's being sowed. And as a result of the seed that's sowing, I, I believe in, in the principle of sowing and reaping. And so I believe that for my life, I'm a sower, therefore I reap, but I believe it as, as a church, that we're a sowing church and because we sow, we reap. Uh, bountifully, amen, and so uh be a sore, but don 't let anybody shame you into it. you do it because God told you to you do because you do it because it 's in your heart to do it. If you ever feel like you 're being manipulated in this building don 't ever give because um, well, the bible says. That manipulation—it's a different translation—but it's as a sin as witchcraft. So that's that's the same as somebody bewitching you, trying to get your coin. And so, uh, anyway, I don't know why I'm sharing that, but uh, praise the Lord, Hallelujah. Um, and so, we believe in our heart, and we give. Now, it's it's up to us to believe. And it's up to us to receive. And so we'll never be able to receive anything until we believe that God wants to bless us. And so that's, again, why the Word of God is so important, because it reveals to us what the will of God really is. You've heard this definition before, but faith can only be extended to the extent of the known will of God. And so until we know that it's God's will to heal us, we can't really put out faith in that area. We can hope. You know, that's, that's the problem with so many people is they're just, a, they're just a hoping and a praying. Well, it's not a hoping and a praying. It's a praying and a believing and expecting that God is going to grant us The increase. So, I got a statement here that might irritate some people. It says in Roman numeral three it doesn't matter if you've lived holy or not. If you can release faith in what Jesus Christ has done, you can receive the benefits of salvation. You know, One of the things that, I've, that that has been confusing for me over the years are, are some of the people that get blessed. Because I would never bless them. I mean, but it, it, it seems like you're going to have somebody come in through those doors and they're just practicing reprobate. And they've just barely squeaked into the kingdom of God. And it seems like God just pours out a blessing upon them. But it's not because they're living a holy life. It's because they're believing. But then we see believers that, you know, especially in comparison, are living such a righteous, holy life. And it seems like they, they struggle to, to get anything from God. But you know what the key is? The key is they're not trusting Jesus. They're trusting their own righteousness. Not the righteousness of faith, but the righteousness of their own actions. You know, the hardest people to reach with the gospel are self-righteous people. People that have been raised in their church. People that believe that they've lived a pretty doggone good life. At least they've lived a better life than you. And so that's where their comparison comes in. But see, the problem is, no place in the Bible does it say that we're to compare ourselves one to another. There's only one that we compare ourselves to, and that's Jesus. And compared to Jesus, we all fall extremely short. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's why we have to put our trust, our confidence completely in Him because we've all fallen so short. But notice what it says here in, in Romans 10, the 12th verse. It's for, it says, For there is, no, there is no difference between Jew, the righteous zealot, and the Gentile. Gentile or, or Greek. Represent the heathen, the heathen for the same Lord, for the same Lord over all is rich to all that call upon him. And so, what this verse is saying doesn't matter whether, whether somebody's a religious zealot or they're just a practicing heathen, in the eyes of God, they're all in the same boat. Faith is faith that's going to receive, it's faith that's going to, it's the grace of God. And if I'm, like we talked a couple weeks ago, if I'm putting my trust in me, then I'm not putting my trust in Him. And there's no mixing of grace and works. It's either one or the other. I'm either living by grace or I'm living by works. If I try to combine the two, I have nothing. If I say I'm living by grace, but I'm dependent upon my works, I'm deceived. It's grace and grace alone that works salvation in each of our lives. For there is no difference between the Jew, the righteous zealot, or the Greek, the heathen. For the same Lord over all is rich to all that call upon him whoever calls upon his name shall be saved. What do we call? We call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, and those that do that, we shall be saved. Says verse 12 there, but it's supposed to be verse 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Once again, the gospel is so simple. We just need to believe what he says and then take it and apply it in our lives. You know, in in the book of Philippians, he talks about righteousness. And just just like in Romans, where he talks about righteousness in Philippians, he talks about the two different kinds of righteousness that are out there. and so in, in Philippians, the third chapter, and I'm going to start in the fourth verse, it says, Well, let's just back up to the, well, let's just start at the beginning. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. What, a, what an amazing say, statement. Paul says, you know, for me to repeat something, it's not tedious. But the point is, is it's safe. Don't ever get tired of hearing the truths and the principles of God over and over and over again. Because there's there's safety in that. Because what happens is we're, we're, we're continuously reminded when we read it over and over again. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of mutilation. And here he's talking about um, those that try to lead you into circumcision. He's talking about the works of the law. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no Confidence in the flesh. Notice what Paul, this is Paul that's saying this. We have no confidence in the flesh. Well, you know, what does that mean? Well, I'm better than they are. That's putting confidence in the flesh. That's putting confidence in what what you believe you've done. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. And so then he he begins to give us the list of reasons why if anybody were to have confidence in the flesh, Paul would be the one that would be able to do it. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee. In other words, He was the epitome of religiosity. That's what Paul was. And he's saying if there's anybody that should have been able to have confidence in the flesh, you're looking at him. But what does Paul say? He says he doesn't have any confidence in the flesh. Why? Because it's grace. It's not what I've done because the only comparison is with Jesus and we don't measure up. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. Again, look at the the list of qualifications that Paul presents that if anybody deserved to be saved because of their works, because, you know, he talks about the persecution here, but he was doing it in faith. He did that out of zeal because he believed that he was serving Almighty God in his purpose. And so his whole life evolved around this. Concerning the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me. Listen to this. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. He says, everything that I trusted in within myself, I've set it aside. I've considered it loss. I've considered it of no value in comparison to Christ. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish. He says, I've lost everything. But you know what? Everything that I lost, I counted as nothing but rubbish. You know, <clears throat> Paul had position. Paul had a reputation. Paul had <clears throat> whatever they would have in that day. He had the degrees. Because he had studied under the top rabbis. And so, he set all of that aside. He, he lost everything. You know, <laughs> sometimes we think we've lost so much when we came to Christ. You know, most of us, all we lost was a bad reputation. But, <clears throat> you know, but, but Paul lost everything. He lost his good reputation. He, he was one that was going to probably excel within the government and everything else. But he lost it all. He gave it all up for the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. Anything that I had, to me It's nothing. It's absolutely rubbish, trash, a dung heap in comparison to my relationship with Jesus Christ. And be found in Him, not having my own righteousness. And here He gets into the righteousness, because all of those things were the basis for His righteousness, self righteousness. And you see, every time we begin to look at ourselves and we begin to focus upon our achievements, and you know, Pastor Becky shared it um, last Sunday morning when she was speaking at the uh, um, reception for the graduates. How, when we were in Sunday school, we'd get all of our, our little uh, pins, and you know how you'd have your, your pins that'd be hanging down to here and so on promotion Sunday or whatever. You would come to church wearing your pins. I got more pins than you got. Praise the Lord. Well, there wasn't any praise the Lord to it. was just nanner, nanner, boo-boo. You know, but, but see, we were so proud of our righteousness. I had perfect attendance. whippy do. Now, perfect attendance is wonderful. But you know what? You don't gain any righteousness. Donna must have had perfect attendance. Yeah, yeah I, I, I saw the nose go up. <laughs> oh, you must want like that when he elbowed you. Oh. Works for me. <laughs> but see, all of that is our own righteousness. It's, it's self-righteousness. It's it's looking to self rather than... Now, now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with recognition and pins and, and all that. I'm not... I'm not saying that in itself is an evil thing. What I'm saying is, in the wrong context, it becomes an evil thing because we begin to look at our accomplishments. You know, when we lived in Ankeny, Iowa, the church we went to there, they had a program It was known as Evangelism Explosion. It was founded by James Kennedy. And uh, uh, and, and so... uh, at that time, Ankeny was just a little dinky little town, you know, but it was just starting to grow. And so in our little uh, church there, I mean, every, every Sunday, there was not a Sunday that went by that we didn't have um, several visitors in church. And it wasn't because they were just moving, going through, it was because they were moving into the community. And because we were a denomination, You know, everybody that was a part of that particular denomination, that's automatically where they would go to church. And so they would come to church, we'd get their names, we'd get their addresses. And and then that following, I think it was Tuesday night, uh, we would go out on our evangelism explosion. You had to go through training and so forth, and so I'd gone through it. And so we would call on these people. And, uh, you know, evangelism explosion is where the two questions came from. The first question that you would ask somebody was, uh, if you were to die tonight, do you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you would spend eternity in heaven? And the majority of people, especially if they grew up in this particular church, would say, yeah, I I feel pretty confident of that. And so then the next question would be, if you were to die tonight, and if you were to stand before God, and God would ask you, why should I allow you into my heaven? What would your answer be? And again, we're, we're dealing with mostly religious people. And their answer was usually something like this. Well, <clears throat> because of Jesus and because I've, I've tried to attend church as much as I could and I, I feel like I've been a pretty good person. No, oh, you're a jerk in comparison to Jesus. And so, right away, what we knew was they, they didn't know the message of salvation. Because if you know the message of salvation, you know that it's faith alone in Christ alone for salvation, nothing else. It's totally dependent upon Him. And so, you know, we would, uh, so then we would begin to share with them. And, uh, you know, we were trained to begin in Genesis, and you'd take your way through the Roman road, and all those sorts of things, but you would show them how, a, you know, all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and, and how our only hope is through our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so then, you know, the majority of the people, even though they had grown up in church, the majority of the people, by the time we got done sharing with them, they were ready to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The hardest ones to reach were the ones that were the most involved in church because they knew that they were better than anybody else. And you could see them every Sunday morning walking around with their nose up in the air because they were holier than thou. But that isn't what our salvation is based on. It's trusting in Him. And so Paul, the old man, would have been one of those that had done more than anybody else. And so he would have seen himself as qualified to be righteous, not because of something that Jesus has done, but because of what he had done, what he had achieved. And so then, um, where was I read? It's all rubbish. Verse nine, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Remember, that's, that's what we've been covering in Romans. You know, I'm, I'm dumbfounded. Because so many people who have gone through Bible school, and they've, uh, especially if they've gone through Ramon, and back many years ago, they went through Tony Cook's class on righteousness. An individual, you went, was Tony there when you were there? <clears throat> you know, and everybody that I've heard come through that class, I mean, I've listened to some of the tapes, not all of them. But they've said, best teaching that they've ever heard. But did they hear? Because they're, they're kind of like the church in Galatia. Oh foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Having begun in the spirit, are you now turning so quickly from the faith? Because if it isn't Christ alone, grace in Christ alone for salvation, then we're trusting in our own strength and we're trusting in our own ability. We're trusting in in self-righteousness. And that's what Romans comes against. That's what Paul comes against here in Philippians. He's he's dealing with the the same subject. He's talking, he's bringing the comparison between self-righteousness and righteousness according to faith. And we're righteous because of faith, because of Jesus. That I may know him. Well, let me back up and read nine again. For be found, and be found in him Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. Where is it from? The law. Why does it say that? Keeping the law. Keeping rules and regulations. Your righteousness, self-righteousness, is determined by obedience to the law. Well, pastor, you're just against the law. No, I'm not. I'm all for it. But I just know we can't keep it. Well, how do you know that? Because the Bible says so. And I agree with the Bible. (laughs) But if I live in His righteousness, following His Spirit, I will keep the law. And I'll keep it far better in following after the Holy Spirit than I ever will in trying to do it in my own strength, in my own righteousness. Because in my own, I fail. And so and being found in him and having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him. Why, why do we need to know that our righteousness is by faith in, in Christ Jesus, in his complete, completed works? So they, that we might know him. The problem is, we don't know him. And because we don't know him, we're still trying to earn something on our own because we don't know him. When we know him, we know that it's done. We know that it's complete. We know that I, by faith, simply enter in to what Jesus has already done for me, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Now, the power of of his resurrection isn't just simply talking about that we're gonna be resurrected with him. It isn't even in reference to that. The power of his resurrection was a resurrection power that was released by God to, to, uh, to blast him out of that tomb. Because some commentaries, when they begin to talk about his resurrection, They talk about, you know, it was was almost like (laughs) nuclear power that released him from that tomb. There was so much power that was released. You and I are to live our life in that resurrection power. What does that mean? That we have power to overcome whatever it is that comes our way. We have resurrection power. It's through that resurrection power that we're justified, that we become the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. With that resurrection power manifested and working in our life, there is absolutely nothing that God has told us to do that we can't do. But it's not because, "Mm, I think I'm good enough, I think I can do that now. No, it's knowing what Jesus has done for me. It's not dependent upon me. It's not because I've lived holy enough. It's because Jesus lived holy enough. And that power has been transferred in and through me, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I begin to live and move and have my being in Him. That I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering, being conformed to His death. How do we become conformed to His death? We're dead to the things of this world. That isn't talking about when we die and get stuck in a grave someplace and rot. That's talking about right now we're we're part of His death. We've died to the things of this world. We talked about it before. That's the significance of water baptism. How it demonstrates how spiritually we died with Christ and we've been resurrected with Christ in newness of life. And so the power of death talking about biblical death. <clears> the <throat> first one I ever heard say this was, was Tammy Winslow. She said, you know, <clears throat> before there can be a resurrection, there has to be a death. Death always precedes resurrection. You know, oftentimes what we're wanting is we're wanting a resurrection when we're not, we've not died with Christ yet. When we're living in self-righteousness, we haven't haven't died. We're still living in our own strength, in our own ability. But you know, when we recognize that what I have done, what I tried to accomplish isn't enough, that I die to that, it's at that point that I'm able to be resurrected in newness of life. I'm able to be resurrected in power. God's power. Man, I better close right here. I'm just so happy. i got to be careful. I might, I might take a lap, and then I'm going to be sore tomorrow. <clears throat> Last time I took a lap, there was a door that flipped over, and I hit it and put me right on my fanny. <laughs> Ever since that, I've wondered, was that the Holy Ghost that was leading me to run? I don't know. But, you know, <clears throat> I've turned over a new leaf. I not only do not run in church, I run nowhere the car's coming, it better slow down because it ain't moving any faster, you know. So anyway, that has nothing to do with anything. Resurrected power. We have it in Christ Jesus. We're new creations in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 4.2 For indeed the gospel is preached to us as well as to them. Now, now, who, who's, who's Paul talking about here? He's talking about the Hebrews. He's talking about the Jews. And he's saying this gospel has not been withheld from them. You know, a few years ago, there was a teaching that went around, um, and it was, it was talking about a plurality of salvation. I, th- I think that's the term that they used. But what they were saying is <clears throat> there, was, there was one salvation, for the Gentiles, and there was another salvation for the Jews. Well, according to the Bible, that's a bunch of bunk. There is only one salvation, faith alone in Christ alone. The Jews, I love the Jews, so excited that the, the, our embassy is finally where it's supposed to be, in Jerusalem, that we finally have a president, they had enough guts to do it. Praise the Lord. Well, we won't get into that. <clears throat> you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled with that we're in Jerusalem where we ought to be. And uh, no, I forgot where I was going with that. Oh, <clears throat> but, uh, but those, I, I love the Jews. I love the nation of Israel. But to be saved, they must receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and uh there is there is there is no other means of salvation, but through Christ alone. concerning the Jews, there may be some other factors involved somewhere along the line. I don't know, I don't care. All I know is we're to preach Christ, and he crucified I mean you you ever listen to uh um, the Jews Messiah, or some of those programs on 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 TBN or some of the other channels that uh, uh, they're completed jews uh, they they believe in the Messiah they believe in Jesus they'll say the same thing in fact some of them aren't received by some of the the groups because they you know Jews for Jesus there's organizations Jewish Christian organizations that won't receive them because they profess loud and strong that you must receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, Jew and Gentile alike. But there's, there's those that will dispute that. They just need to get saved. <clears throat> For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as them, speaking of the Jews. But the word which they heard, the Jews did not profit them not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. And so that's for all mankind. The word that we hear must be mixed with faith. How do you mix it with faith? God said it. I believe it. That settles it because the word of God says it. I declare that it's true. I believe it because it's in the Word of God. And I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going to think on it. I'm going to dwell on it until it comes alive on the inside of me. But right now, I'm confessing with my mouth that this Word is true. Whether it's prosperity, deliverance, whatever. You have peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control. All those attributes belong to you now so what are you going to do about it? Well, I don't know. I'm really struggling with patience. Well, believe what the Word says. Start to confess it. You know what? One day, patience will show up. It's already in you. It's just got to have an avenue to get out. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Grace, the power of God for salvation. Hallelujah. So in your notes this week, if you didn't notice it, you've got your notes, got your questions, got the answers from last week, and then at the very end, you've got the answers for this week. So don't cheat. (laughs) Fill out your questions first. And then um, see see how much I trust you? I put them on the same sheet. I didn't hold them until next week. Be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.